actually. Okay. We're on now. Should we call him? Yeah, let's do it. You can put it in at the end. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, where, where, do, where should we put it? This definitely needs a um, an explanation of what we're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Um, <laughs> hello, uh, good morning, <laughs> listeners. Um, I love to say good morning. It's kind of a catchphrase of the Chronicles here. And I'm just going to turn the input level a bit down because it's quite... Because we are quite vocal males. I better read the little uh, script that I've written for today. The year was 2013. A very cold time, as I recall. And I was standing inside the Subiaco Art Centre with a throng of youngsters, teens, hopeful actors. And it was there where I first met today's author, James Taylor. We... A pair of budding actors met while studying a NIDA short course with the very kind Marco Ivanovic. Actually, now I'd like to stop and say the reason we are going to be calling Marco, he is going to be a live guest. Well, this is technically pre-recorded, but we are going to call Marco very shortly and sort out how do we pronounce his last name, Ivanovic or Ivanovic. So we'll see how that plays out. But Marco, um, he's a wonderful, he's a local producer, actor... Screen star does everything, but he's um he's actually not local anymore. He's um what? He's flown the coop. He's flown the coop. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he's gone to Melbourne. Yeah. If only everybody could see the look on your face because it's quite tormented. I was hoping to interview him. Phone. Yeah, about the seventy-minute phone call. <laughs> 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 okay, sorry. Uh, um, now in two thousand thirteen. Um, sorry. Now in two thousand fourteen. James went on to study the Aboriginal theatre course at WAPA. In 2015, he played Puck in Benjamin Britten's opera A Midsummer's Night Dream, directed by Rachel MacDonald. He also wrote and directed, on several occasions, Hobo at the Blue Room Theatre for both the 2015 Fringe Festival and, in 2016, for an independent season. I'd like to add that Hobo was... And is a fucking good show. And James' most recent project to date was directing Conversations with the Dead by Richard Franklin with the awesome Yura Yakin Theatre Company. James, welcome. Thank you. And welcome also to my home. Yes, we are recording in James' wonderful home. And when I drove up on the driveway, I did say it does look like the face looks like a Spanish Castile, Castellette. Waiting for the car to go past and trying to think of a witty, witty thing to say to that. Um, but I actually don't know a whole lot about uh, Spanish uh, architecture or history or, um, in general, I really don't know much about Spain. So um, I believe that you're from said said country. Your heritage yeah. is from, yeah. from Spain. So um, I think, yeah, yeah. No, no. My mum is uh, Spanish, and I was saying to James before. When I went that way back in 2012, when I was, I think, 17, turning 18, for a weird family reunion. And, you know, we in Spain, you get to see Spanish architecture, as expected. And, yeah. Fantastic. Now that uh, we've got the, the awkward, pausey start out of the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it's great to have you here, Brian. Um, and... Marco and history and where we've come from, where we are, it's, mm. it's quite incredible actually to be talking about this. I understand that uh, we've both been on, on quite a journey yes. and 
it's it's quite a strange thing to be sitting here now. What is it? Uh, three, nearly four years later, I guess. Um, yeah, four, yeah, I'd say four years later. Yeah, and 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 so much has has changed, I guess. And the arts now is it's not a dream. It's well, they're still dreams, but it's now a reality. Mm. <laughs> Physically participating, and that see, I've got some key questions here that I, I I have to and I should ask you, and the reasons why I call them key questions. Hopefully, they'll create some conversation. Yeah, I, I don't know. Oh God, Ryan, I, I think it's drinking that very strong Earl Grey tea. I was just thinking about how strong this tea is. I was trying to impress you with my manly tea making skills, but I can barely drink it because it's like petrol. Um, so. <laughs> But we'll, we'll survive. So first off, uh, oh, one thing I have to read to you, because like an idiot, I am an idiot. And I, I need to see a lot more shows. I think if there's if there's a young young student listening to us right now who is studying the theatrical arts, is I think a key is to see some shows. I think I also need to take that advice on board. I miss James, as I was saying before, James' most recent project was Conversations with the Dead. And it had a, it had a, basically, I just want to read this from David Zampatti's uh, review in the West Australian, the last few sentences. Taylor's direction and his fine cast's performances match the passion and power of the indispensable piece of Aboriginal theatre. And David Zampatti, yeah, it was a really, uh, if people should, it's a, hey, I think it was, I thought it was a great review. Um, and this leads me to the, the question. Why did you direct Conversations with the Dead with Yuri Aiken Theatre Company? All right. Okay. Um, now, I hopefully I'm not wrong in saying this, but uh, I believe it is Yuri Aiken. Yuri Aiken. Sorry, yes. sorry. No, don't be sorry at all. It's um, an odd name to pronounce if you're not familiar mm. with the company. <laughs> there was, I guess I could come up with a... A myriad of reasons as to why I wanted to direct Conversations with the Dead. I think when it all comes down to it, there's really... There's only one that is important enough Mm. to me, and that's that the first time I read the play, it spoke to me. And you can get as wanky as you want with saying, uh, it spoke to me, it it compelled me to feel something, but it did. I remember uh, the first time I read it was in 2014 when we were doing the show at Aboriginal Theatre at Whopper. Now I was very keen when I was at Whopper. I I didn't miss a day. I was very determined to to be good at what it is that I chose to do. So of course that meant hassling lecturers for material early and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, the end of year piece, Rick, uh, the head of the course there, he, he sent it through to me in the holidays um, in the... I think the second mid-semester break and I was house-sitting with my girlfriend Emily and I was sitting on the couch and I was reading it and I was absolutely devouring this this piece of um, material that was it was very haphazard it was very raw it was very um, it wasn't refined like the things that I was used to reading and I I don't this is a horrible thing to say as a playwright, as a director, as an actor, but it's it's very rare that I can sit down and read a play from front to back mm. without having to physically force myself to do it because I come from a background of devouring novels and I, I can't tell you how many novels I read as a teenager, late 20s, 
<laughs> late twenties. I'm not there yet. I'm mid to late twenties. I'm not late twenties yet. Late teens, early twenties. Um, so starting to read plays has been. It's always been very difficult for me because novels have such rich language in them, and I often find myself wandering when I'm reading a play. However, the language in Conversations with the Dead was so so rich and so so harsh mm. that. It really captivated me, and one of the conventions that Uncle Richard, the the playwright, uses in in his writing is is poetry, and there's poetry and there's music in this piece. And poetry, to me, well, I, I guess that that's the idea of poetry is to to create a strong visual landscape for for people to to walk through in their minds, I believe. And I started writing poetry in my teens to to express myself because I was going through some things that I couldn't quite express in a journalistic form or I didn't know how to express myself basically and poetry was a way for me to do that organizing my thoughts without actually knowing what I was doing because using metaphor and using images you you think you're distancing yourself from you think you're creating something new but I think I find that what I'm usually doing is writing a diary but tricking myself and telling myself I'm not so, <laughs> uh, long, long way around the, the question, I wanted to, to do this piece because I really connected with the writing and I really enjoyed how it, it broke down the usual conventions that I was used to exploring. And that propelled me, the power of the piece for me propelled me to want to learn, to learn more about the, the context and the issues that, that it explored because... One thing that I do understand well is the nature of... Now, this is going to sound... I, I think every time you say this now, it, it's people are like... Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, the struggles that are faced by men in today's society, and I, I it's always a bit of a, a cringeworthy topic because, you know, gender discussions are at the forefront of a lot of debate at the moment. Mm. I think equality, which is fine, but... I think that men are going through a lot of issues that aren't really looked at. I don't know if this is true or not. Are they looked at? I'm not sure. I understood what what Jack was going through. The beauty in the in the writing and the poetry put you put that up against the the anger and the violence in his actions um, and the raw dialogue and the, often the crude way that he he wrote the actual the dialogue between characters and the monologues then you would come up against this this poetry that he would write in it and it was like night and day and I find that I believe that I'm like that as well. Mm. You know, I, I find it very hard to express myself when it comes to putting things down in a a structured fashion. But if I'm allowed room to to cry to to express myself through poetry, then oh this is See, see, this is why I wanted yeah. to direct the piece because <laughs> it was all set in there. Jack was violent, and he was coming up against so many walls within himself and the society around him. I'd like to add this to give some because people obviously not everyone would have seen Conversations with the Dead, and I will quickly read this from David Zampati's review. I'm quoting him directly: Richard Franklin's Conversation with the Dead, first stage in 2002, is about the fire and that abyss. On one level, it is a roar, a roar of anger against the awful destruction of indigenous lives, families and communities that led to the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, 
1987 to 1991. Franklin was an investigator for the RCIADIC, and the scars that experience left on him are exposed in his writing. I think it's a, and I'm I'm kicking myself because I haven't, I didn't see it, but what, what the subject matter did that you know dealing with that very very important issue that's that's very relevant today as as we're recording now like last week no was it this week or last week was the the 50th anniversary of the 1967 constitutional referendum for recogni- you know recognizing yeah our indigenous people yeah on the on the census I yeah on the census yeah yeah um well the actual content itself and this is this is something that i feel is very important in the discussions that we have especially when it comes to uh, matters of Aboriginality and relationships between, between, if you want to call it crudely, white Australia and, mm. and black Australia, is that often I think the content comes before the human conversation. Now, this play is filled with content. It's filled with information. It's filled with bits and grabs of information that need to be explored and understood. But I think that the most important thing that gets maybe that I didn't want to get overlooked in this is that before any of this content, this information, these historical events that have happened, the atrocities, the, the, the frightening things that have happened that perhaps aren't known about is there's a person there. There's, there's a man who is, he's a man, he's a person and he is struggling with, the issues that every single person could possibly face if they were put in these circumstances. And first and foremost, as a director, what I wanted to look at was not so much the information as such, it's what what is this play about? Mm. To me, it is about, it's about impact. The things that happened in the past inform the present and the future. But I believe it's a play about a man and that man dealing with himself and the issues that he faces when he's put in an impossible situation. And for me, it was important to have that discussion and I wanted to look at his his mental health and the breakdown of his mental health and through that, have a conversation about all these other issues because that's what the play did for me. It, it gave me an entry point to, to research all these issues, um, deaths in custody and mm. you know Aboriginal history that, that I had no idea about. It also gave me an avenue to to learn more about myself and my own culture because I'm, you know, my, for all purposes, physically, I'm a white person in the eyes of everybody that I meet. I mean, I've got a ginger beard. I've got thick European stocky legs. Um, <laughs> I've got a long pointy-ish nose, um, yeah. green eyes, um, but I'm, I'm an Aboriginal person and I um, didn't, I didn't talk about that for a long time because I was ashamed to say it because I didn't believe that people would take me seriously. What this play did was give me an avenue to start looking into that again and start really believing it. So I guess I digress again, and this will happen many times oh, no, during, no, no. during the uh, interview because I have a scatterbrain and that's... <laughs> oh, this, that's wonderful for the chronicles. Uh, what was the question? No... I think you answered it. What is it? What's it like working with Yira Yarkin? Theatre coming. Yira Yarkin. Yira Yarkin. Yira Yarkin. Yira Yarkin. Yira Yarkin. Sorry. Yira Yarkin. What was it like working with the Yira Yarkin Theatre Company? Working with Yira Yarkin Theatre Company was absolutely shit. 
No, that's a, that's a joke. <laughs> oh, oh no. No, okay, that was a joke because um, I needed to break it up a little bit because I, I need you to definitely believe what I'm saying when I say that Yuri Arkin Theatre Company is a fantastic, mm. fantastic theatre company. They're amazing, and what they what they've done for me is they have they believed in me enough to allow me to to fail and to make mistakes and not not to say that they've been letting me off there, there's always responsibility and an expectation for for excellence with all their with all their young performers and creatives directors writers um but working with the company has been fantastic because i couldn't have done what i did with the likes of you know the bigger sorts of companies because Yuri Arkin is a fully funded company. They're a professional company. Yeah. They've been putting on shows since I think the the eighties, and they've yeah. got um, you know a wonderful wonderful range of diverse works in history. But they also and the artistic director Kyle Kyle mm. Morrison, mm. part of his vision as as I believe has has really been about putting on great quality works, but investing in in young artists and, and asking that question, you know, what is Aboriginal theatre? And I believe that he would probably say that we still don't, we can't really put a label on what we think Aboriginal theatre is because it's it's everything. It's, it's, it's the stories of the past and the present. It is the, the craft of theatre making from a European or you know wider perspective yeah. but it's also uh, storytelling from the perspective of a people who never had theatrical training as such um, and who have been telling stories since long before it's crude to say white people came to this country <laughs> and I don't want to say it like that because because yeah. I um, you know my nana was born in Scotland so yeah. that would be a bit weird for me to uh, <laughs> to go down that path but you know it, it's the the company is, I think it's a really exciting company, and what what makes it special to work with Yuri Arkin is that their the boundaries are less stringent, because it really is about finding out what that is to tell Aboriginal theatre, and it's not just telling stories about you know atrocities and pain. It's it's about telling stories about a beautiful, rich culture that expresses expresses themselves through 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 song and dance and movement so yeah it's been wonderful it's been great i couldn't say i couldn't speak highly enough of the company is there a different pleasure gained from writing directing or acting yes but perhaps i'll get you to elaborate a little bit on the question yeah the the reason why i say that because james has acted and written and directed quite successfully um, which is just great. <laughs> I think, am, I being, am I sounding like an arsehole? No. 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 I love it. I go, no. Because um, I'm, I'm just... The reason why I'm... Um, because you're an all-rounder. And I think these days, if you want to succeed in the, in the business we call show, <laughs> um, you have to be an all-rounder of a writing, directing, and acting. I don't know. Because like, I feel like, for me, like acting... You sort of gain pleasure from... There's that sort of pleasure of playing. You're like an, an adult being a child. In a, you know, you, you structured play. So you get to play. If you're directing, you do have that sort of pleasure. Or if you're into, you know, 
being you know a bit of a dictator you get to be a little bit of a dictator or you, you, get, you get you get a bit of power writing pleasure i'd imagine well i write a bit but yeah yeah, yeah oh yeah, come yeah. now don't be yeah, more yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah um and you for me when i write i get this sort of weird pleasure of i'm not sure if i'm bipolar or not but i get this weird exhilaration when you you write this wonderful sentence or like a poem or a phrase that perfectly articulates what you're thinking and feeling, you just get this weird hype. You're like a you're like an alchemist. You're like a magician. You're like, wow, I created something from nothing. I couldn't really put it any better. I don't think <laughs> that I absolutely agree with everything that you that you're saying. I could remember to talk to you and not to the to the microphone the, with a big fuzzy thing on it because oh. I keep doing that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I talk to Ryan, not we the people. That reminds me of uh, the monologue that you did mm. for your audition, I think. You did uh, uh, from Julius Caesar. Um, oh, God. <clears throat> uh, Mark Antony. Yes, that's right. Yes, and I think that you you might have actually broadened your horizons because I remember when you were going to audition for Whopper, I think the second or third time. <laughs> <laughs> I've auditioned, th I've auditioned multiple times myself, yeah. and, uh, and uh, I remember I asked you what monologue you're doing, and you said, I'm doing Mark Antony from, from Julius Caesar, yeah. and I said, why are you doing that one? He said, well, I always do that one. I like, I like Mark Antony. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And, and now we um, have Ryan the All-Rounder. Yeah. Um, Although the one thing I really want to do, because I, I like Shakespeare, as you know, and I feel like, like this year... I don't think there's there's not been a major company in WA that's produced a Shakespeare play. I'm trying to think. You could be right. I was going to say it's only early into the year, but it's it's not actually. We're at the halfway yeah, point. Halfway. Which is very frightening. And I want to direct, make my debut in directing, and I'd like to direct. I have to go through, you know, the Blue Room and what have you. They probably I don't know what they'll they'll say, but I'd love to direct a Shakespeare production. I'm currently looking at Henry V. Henry V. I know Henry IV, part one and two, yeah. quite well. I know this, the story of, uh, what is it, Richard III? Yes. Reasonably yes. well. Henry V, that's Once More Unto the Breach. Yes, that's Yes, it. that is the one. And it's got the famous monologue at the start, Oh, for a muse of fire. And, mm. You know, that's, yeah. Yeah, and that's where Prince Hal yes. fulfills the prophecy. Yeah. From his monologue in uh, part one, I think. Or is it... Uh, oh, how does it go? Is it Prince Hal's monologue? Do you know the... Um, no. <laughs> I, I know the monologue so well. Yeah. I've done it that many times and I want to remember it now. I'm getting stuck on it. Uh, hold on. Uh, I... Oh, that's it. I know you all and will a while uphold the unyoked humour of your idleness. Yet herein will I imitate the sun. Who doth permit the base, contagious clouds to smother up his beauty from the world, that when he please again to be himself, being wondered at, he may be... No, he may be more wondered at by breaking through the foul and ugly mists of vapours that did seem to strangle him. If all the year were to sport, then something or rather would be like that, and then... This is why I'm not an actor anymore, because I can't remember the words. <laughs> no. Basically, the rhyming couplet yeah. at the end says, um... <laughs> the couple. This might be a good time to cut, because I only got to talk. Yeah, yeah, go. Oh. No? 
So while James has a toilet break, a word from our sponsors. We still on? And we're back. And we're back. And we're back. Now, I just had a I just had a thought there yes, that yes. we I didn't even answer your question or even start to. So we'll come back to the question. I think. Um, yes, it, there is a different kind of pleasure that uh, comes from acting, writing, directing. There's a different kind of pleasure that comes from them, and there is a different kind of stress that also comes from the pursuit of each. I think as an actor, you do you get to play and you get to explore. You get a type of power that can be used for good and that mm. can be used completely incorrectly because I believe that that a good actor is hmm. Now this is this is said with an asterisk. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> is has a big ego, is somewhat arrogant because to believe in your interpretation of a character and to, to believe in your understanding of a character, I think you, you need that, that strong ego. You need that passion and that, that belief in yourself to be able to portray this character on a stage. And I think, I can't, who was it that said, there's no such thing as character, there's only lines on a page? Is it Stanislavski? I think so, must be. Maybe. That's, that's Maybe. the only one I know, so hopefully. Um, <laughs> to me, that says that what the writing does is shape you as a person into what the writer wants to portray on stage. So you can't get away from yourself. There, there is that, there's that power that an actor has. However, the, I think the problem that the actor faces, that I face when I am an actor, is, is tapering that ego and remembering ultimately what the audience sees on stage will be my body they will hear my voice they will see my face but if i'm doing my job correctly it will be shaped in a way that stays true to the writing and to that to that character and fulfills the the vision that the director has has ultimately hired me as an actor for as a director there is that you do have that power but with great power comes great responsibility, responsibility. <laughs> as I have found out on this latest directing job, which is only my second um, actual directing job, and it was a big step up. What I found is that you can have that title, you can have the label as director, however, that label in itself is very meaningless unless you have the skills and the expertise, the knowledge, the wisdom behind that label to back it up. An actor is a raw piece of clay a powerful tool that if you're not ready to actually work with with that that piece of clay if you're not ready if you don't have the skills and the the knowledge to to work with that tool and that's a it's a it's a crude way to explain it please i, I love actors i i know several my friends are actors please <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that you can you can really you can get you can get burned i guess and mm. um as a director, I think that's the, that's the catch-22, is that you do have power, but it's very fleeting if you're not an expert at what it is that you do, because people are people, and, and often you're in the room with people who have been doing this a lot longer than you have. I mean, I had um, the likes of Peter Docker in this last production, who has been mm. on the scene since long before I was born. Um, he's written novels, he's acted in major productions all over Australia, you know, Melbourne Theatre Company, and he studied um, at VCA back in the day, been in films and, and, and written plays and directed himself more times than I have. So 
when you're in the room with that kind of experience, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the the other side of being a director, and you know, you have the power, and that's good, but you're also powerless at the same time yeah. as a writer. Now that is also a different kind of a pleasure. Wow, because you sit in your room. What I sit anywhere but my room when I write. Yeah. I like to get out and I like to um, actually be be surrounded by people and things when I am writing. And you create this world. Like you said, you're an alchemist. You you're like well, look at what I have created. Mm. Look at this brilliant piece of. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then you take it out into the world and you present you no you don't present you bestow this wondrous glorious gift upon those whom you love such as my mother or my auntie or my girlfriend and you look up after reading this this piece to them and they have a puzzled look on their face and (laughs) (laughs) you say so what did you think of that tell me the truth don't hold back I can take it. And then they go, they bite their lip a little bit, and they um, well, it was really good. Um, I just don't quite, and at this point I'm angry and upset. Yes, yeah, I know that exactly. <laughs> and I wish that they had started lying to me <laughs> in a way that I believed. So, yeah, then there's the... So there's that, yeah, and it's hard. It's hard being a writer because you've got all this wealth of knowledge and that you're trying to put in yeah. onto paper, but it doesn't mean shit if people can't understand it. You're like, why didn't you get that joke? That was funny. Oh yes, because you haven't seen the things I've seen in the last twenty-seven years, so you don't. You're not putting together that narrative like I am. Mm. Um, so there's that, um, and there's also having to hand over your writing ultimately to to a director to actors who who won't interpret things the way that you assume that they should but that's creating art and that's creating theater and that's being a collaborator so yes mm. <laughs> well i think actually actually i said next next question in your opinion what quality is needed to be a theatrical artist I've talked a lot. I'm going to ask you first what you think. Oh, the I'm op- going to ask you what you think. No, this is a bit of a turning of the tables because no one asks me questions. No, I think what we touched on, it, it's about yeah, being an all, all-rounder. You know, doing this, you learn from different people. Like um, last week's episode with Bridget LeMay, I asked her this question and um, we, we were touching on focus. I think you, des- you desperately need a focus and there's a sort of uh, discipline you need. But I, I, I love what you said about your, your writing, about how you venture forth and you mingle and mix with people and your surrounds. I think you do need to acknowledge your actual truth and your environment and your atmosphere and be, and be influenced. Because if you're just, you know, locked up in a cupboard <coughs> all day and you, you I don't know, it's, I know some people <coughs> do write like that. But where do you get your imagination from? Ah, here's one. For you. All right. There's this play uh, by D- David Story, this English play, and the reason why I know this play is because I'm obsessed with this actor called Sir Ralph Richardson. The reason why is because he's uh, a nutter in person. He's a very eccentric person. He's dead. He died in 1989, I think, from a stroke or something or other. Anyway, he's an old 
a sort of somewhat yeah famous actor. And there's a there's this weird scene in this David Story play. I forgot what it's called, but it's with um, and Sir Ralph Richardson's delivering this line. He says um, he's playing a writer. He says to this other not a young writer who's looking after. He's he's playing this old guy and he's this writer and he's saying to this other young guy who's looking after him, traveling is for people without an imagination. What the fuck does that mean? I've got to think about that for a while. Travelling <clears throat> is for people without an imagination. And that, that line has just, I don't know, really stuck in my head. Travelling is for people without an imagination. Yeah. I used to think I wanted to travel, and I did travel a lot. What does this mean? Okay, I think I know what that means. Hmm. I think I... <laughs> Do you have to be a traveller to, to get an imagination? Does, do you have to experience the world before you can talk about it? Mm. Is, what does that mean to you? I think the reason I think I brought it up is because you're writing. I think we can learn. We don't have to travel. We've got the internet. We can read it in books. We don't have to venture forth in the world to find our art. <clears throat> we can be mirrors by reading books and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I think... Uh, one thing you need to be successful is you have to come from a place of truth. I, I think a lot of people reference truth. And I think when those people say about truth in your art, I think it's really coming from a place of acknowledging, for example, I'm Ryan Murano. I'm, I don't know how tall I am. I'm 5'9 five, five or something rather. I'm 5'9, born in Australia, but my mum's Spanish and my, my dad's family's Italian and what have you. And, and and I'm a bit crazy and a bit loopy and blah. So you, you now we're getting to the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you acknowledge all that, right? And then you say, well, I don't. It's I, I can't really write a play about if I wanted to write a play about uh, for for uh, first thing that came to my head, you know, rape. I have not been raped, and it's it's wrong for me to write about because I don't know the subject. I haven't experienced mm. it. But th there's a then there's a part of you that says. Yeah, you should write a play about rape because you're giving voice to that horrible, you know. It, it's interesting that you say that because I, I think about this a lot now and I, it happens so much and it, it's almost, uh, it, it's completely acceptable a lot of the time talking about things that you have no idea about and the justification that we use to say, okay, for example, I have no idea about, I haven't been raped, I have the power to, to empathise with people who have gone through that experience, mm. but should I? Well, it's giving voice this should I actually think that that happens a little bit too much in the world. I think that mm. it's not for us to say we need to give a voice to this. It's for the people who have been affected by these situations. Um, it they need to that you know, it needs to Oh, far out. I had something great to say, but I'm also a bit loopy too, so I'm thinking about five million different yeah. things, including how ridiculously potent that tea was. Um, <laughs> it's still with me, and it will be with me for the, for the afternoon, I believe. Um, okay, so you were just talking about... Can you, what it, so what were those words you said again? You said... Um, uh, it's, it's, it's just... Yeah, sorry, I was coming back from, from the question, of, in, your, <laughs> in your opinion, what is the quality is needed to be a theatrical artist and I think uh, truth you need to come from a place of truth mm. and I'm saying well it's it's hard for me uh, like I can talk about I think I think I have some sort of uh, insight yeah I think that's the word insight 
because my dad's experience of racism mm-hmm. in him coming from an Italian family and he himself has been you know I don't know why I'm saying yeah he was denied a job opportunities because um quote and quote quote he was a wog mm. you know and and you know stuff like that and I'm thinking oh I can I can you know use the word wog and I can um you know <clears throat> I can you know give that some lights racism you know, I, I think maybe I can, you know, but I can't, for example, talk about, you know, rape. I, I can't. Well, you could. We we can yeah. talk about anything, can't we? Really. Yeah. But should we? Or, yeah. That's the question, I guess. Um, and I think you, no, you are, you are right with truth. Um, you have to come from a place of truth um, to be a good artist and to be what I think you and I would consider to be, to be a good artist is to come from a place of truth because what... What is the purpose of art? I mean, for you. The purpose? Because everything has a purpose, even if it's... Or does it? Well, even if it's superfluous and not big picture, I mean, the, this is going to sound stupid, <laughs> but the, the leaves on the trees have a purpose. The, the spider in the web has a purpose. The, the, the sand on the bottom of your shoes that you don't want to drag into your house, that has a purpose. It's there for a reason. It was there from a cause, and everything that happens whether or not it's a intended purpose it otherwise you wouldn't do it we wouldn't create art if there wasn't a reason for it or mm. a purpose um and what is the purpose of art to you there's part of me that says yeah like the sort of Bertolt Brecht sort of thing you know we're the mirrors that that we you know that hold up to society and reflect and <coughs> we give art is you know allows people to give insight to present insight in an, uh, in some cases, an attractive manner, or in some cases, a grotesque manner. And, you know... But that's the delivery. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it simplified, though? I mean, why Why do you do it? I mean, why do you want to tell a story about, for example, a Henry uh, V? It's the simplest answer that you could give me. There's a part that just says, I just, it just makes sense for me to do it. I don't know, it's, it's weird, it's like, there's a part of me that's like, there's this bit of activism, but then there's a part of me that's just thinking, I'm not good at anything else. I think I'm meant to be a storyteller. Some people say I, I can tell stories pretty good, and then I just, you know, waddle along thinking, oh yeah, I'll just tell a story, because I, I get gut, I don't know, I work from a place of gut. Mm. Yeah, me too. So, the, I, it's interesting, so, so it makes you feel valuable, it makes you feel... Like you have a yeah. purpose. Yeah. Like you can contribute. Yeah, I should probably, yeah. And <laughs> exactly. That's why I do it. Yeah. Because I can't do anything else. I, I'm weird. I am possibly bipolar as well. Potentially. It's probably 60-40 on the more likely side is 60. Mm. Um, <laughs> and you sit me in a, in a classroom full of people and my mind wanders and I'm thinking about all the places I could be and the things that I could be doing and the ways that I could be doing things for me and for other people. And at the end of the day, when it all comes down to it, I spend so much time in my own imagination thinking about the world and these places that I think that to me, art is my contribution. It's, it's what I can do. Um, I might not do it well, but the things that have changed my life for the better, the things I always remember are the moments when art has touched it. Like the things you can learn from art and be taught from art just by being immersed in something that you enjoy that takes you out of your own head for a while. 
you know, like you sit down and you watch a good play, you're living through other people's experiences mm. and learning about things, but you're not actually, you're not thinking about this person here for, for a while, which is great. You know what this reminds me of? Last night, I, sorry, not to go off topic. Good, please do. I had a hankering to watch. I've got this old TV series called Walking with Cavemen. This BBC, I think it was done 2002, and I just feel like watching it because I'm just curious because, you know, like apparently there's this book called Sapiens, and this guy writes, and it's true that when humans were alive a million years ago, we had two other species of human. We had Neanderthals, and we had this other one that started with the D. Demelacons? Dark people. Duh. I know, and I, I don't know, but they died. Neanderthals and this other people, they just died. <coughs> and we humans survived today. But the last scene of this documentary, the presenter, who's I think an Aussie, and, he, and it's a weird documentary because you get to see him interact with cavemen, but it's like humans in... You know, dressed up as Neanderthals, <laughs> you know, and with the heavy makeup and whatnot. Oh, no. But the last scene is him. He, it's like it's like at night and they're out in the bush and there's a campfire. And all these, I don't know, like ancient humans are huddled around this fire. And he goes <laughs> and he sits with all these, you know, um, ancient humans. He says, you know, one thing is certain. For some weird reason... We humans are shared entrance with our um, other species, Neanderthals and the other ones. We have this fascination with fire. And we just stare into the fire for some weird reason. And then it just pans out. And he, I think he offers one of the cavemen a biscuit or something. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> he offers them a biscuit. But, yeah, that just goes back. It's like there's some weird... I, I don't know, like, do you think there's, there gets to a point where... I don't know, there's just something, we just tell stories, we just look at the, like, I was I was watching a fire last night, I didn't light one up, I'm not a fire bug, but I had a little oh, fire yeah. pit. <laughs> That's, Please continue. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah um, th- there's this, you know, like when you're watching, looking at fire, you just stare? Yeah, yeah, you just you just do. There is deeper reasons for it, probably, but at the end of the day, who gives a fuck? Because yeah. you're just doing, we don't do that a lot now. Mm. I spend so much time thinking about things that I mean how many how many social media platforms are you on? I've just recently joined uh, Instagram, got Facebook, obviously. Yep. And LinkedIn. LinkedIn? Okay. And what else is there? There's Twitter and There's Twitter, there's Tumblr, Snapchat. Snapchat, yeah. Facebook now has a Snapchat kind of yeah, thing thingy. On it, which I hate because like I don't like I got used to being able to scroll down from the top of my screen to do something and now the stupid camera yeah. thing pops up, which is annoying. I don't like change. I do, but I hate it. And Tinder, if you're, if you're going down that path. Yes, well, actually, I should <coughs> say, uh, I'm on uh, Ladies. Yeah! <laughs> I, I'm on... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen you blush before. Oh, I've got uh, Bumble. But I heard about Bumble the other day. Bumble? Tell you what. Don't, like, I, like, I'm shit, and I'm on OkCupid, okay yeah. because I've become very um, lusty of late. Yes, as, as one does. <laughs> as one does become lusty of late. Being a thespian. Yes, being a thespian, and, you know, you hear of the good old days where everyone used to fuck each other, but not anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> well it, it, I think it's, it happens. It happens, but it doesn't happen to, to me. Some. <laughs> <laughs> some. 
You're too busy, Ryan. Too busy. Thinking about Shakespeare. I mean, my girlfriend is mm. technically not here, so perhaps we could take care of each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it just went there. Don't need to put the heater on. <laughs> Don't need to put the heater on. Oh, dearie me. So, Bumble, anyway. Bumble. Yeah, Bumble. <clears throat> and Yes, yeah, so I'm on Bumble. And, you know, the, it's basically Tinder. But what's good about... And our mutual friend Sam Stopforth got me on Bumble. Mm. He said, the reason why you should go on Bumble, right? It's because when you match with someone, it's the, the women who have to message you first, who has to say hi first. You can't physically message them. It's up to them. Nice. Which I think... And I'm on this other one called OK Cupid, and it's always, you know, I always say, oh, hello, my name is, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think you're pretty, and... Oh, I'm very odd and weird, you know, I'm just, you know, rubbish at it, but, um, yeah. Oh, it's it's not rubbish. Yeah, oh, that, it's, that is very, very, it's, it's quite progressive, isn't it? Mm. But it's really interesting because it did make a note and bumble, you know, for same sex, uh, you know, couples and people. Mm. You know, it's like, and I don't know, like, how, yeah, I think, like, if, if you're gay or lesbian, um, I think you both have the power to message it's more I think I think people visit Bumble <coughs> to find out more um, not, <laughs> not, not an official sponsor of this podcast uh, but if, if you know if, if anyone from Bumble's listening Ryan is happily to take some of your money and say Bumble's really good yeah and, and likewise I mean I could say that for Tinder if you want to throw me a few dollars I'm not into advertising I will do it however because I'm poor <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually met my um I met I met my my girlfriend on Tinder, which is, is strange. Um, and I have a lot of experience right. with with that app and the horrors that can be social media dating. But I, I also have the other side of it too. How weird is, is is dating on social media? Because it is, on one hand, oh. it's though it's so aesthetically driven and it's so because I, I I tried all I tried. Being very, very careful and very particular about only swiping on people's profiles who I genuinely thought I was one physically attracted to, two liked their 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 description in their profile, thought I could connect with it, and three were around you know we're, we're in a certain kind of age bracket yeah. um, that was appropriate for me. I think I I was twenty four at the time, so I said it uh, at first 24 to a, a little bit older I think because um, I've always generally got along found it easier to get along with with women who are older than me there's always been a safety in that conversationally however that you know you would you would go through like 300 friggin things swiping 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 you'd swipe uh, on maybe five profiles out of that being that particular and it never got me anywhere never got me anywhere and I just was feeling horrible, you know, and it makes you feel crap about yourself. Why aren't they liking me back? Why yes. don't they want to talk to me? Yes. But then you do get somebody who wants to talk to you. Yes. And then that's the the next hard part is that you, you do, you write, okay, how do I do this? All right. Hi. Smi- hi, smiley face. They write, hey, maybe a smiley face if you're lucky. And then what happens next? How, how are you? <laughs> and they say, good, dot, dot, dot. How about you? I'm good also. Um, crap, okay. Um, so, um, where do you live? <laughs> and it's like, oh, that might sound a bit creepy. Hold on. I, 
but I can't say anything. Yeah. Not, that, not that that's... I don't want to be creepy. I yeah. just... Um, yeah. And you go through all you know these different conversations and some just stop because you're like, crap, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. And then some go on for ages and you're like... For me, I was like, maybe I should ask them out on a date. That might sound creepy. If I ask them out on a date, they might think that I'm creepy and I just want to have sex with them. Yeah. <sighs> Horrible. I put it down... Yes. I came back to it because a mate of mine was on it and he's a great mate. I've been friends with him for years. Um, we were in the Navy together years ago and uh, he always calls me out on shit. I always learn so much from him and he was on Tinder. He's like, man, who do you think you are? Like, stop being such a little... Hold on. Okay, he said, stop being a, stop being a bitch about things, man. Stop being a little bitch. And I was like, don't call me a bitch. I'm not. I'm just, How dare you? But he was right. He's like, man, like, why are you being so particular? Like, I mean, you want to meet people, right? Cool. It doesn't mean that you have to go out and have sex with them. What I do is I swipe, is it left or right? Right is it's when you... Like. Like. So he, he's like, I swipe right on every single profile that I see. I don't even look at it. I swipe right, 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 right. And he'll swipe right for 300, 400, whatever. This was a few years ago now. He's got a girlfriend now. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I don't care, man. Dudes pop up in there. I just keep swiping. I just swipe, and the next day, whoever's matched up with me, I go through it, and like, this might sound a little bit harsh, but he said, I deal with the consequences the next day because you never know if somebody wants to talk to you. And from from there, I talk to people. I say, and I give it three lines. I say, hey, hey, how you going? They say, yeah, good. How about you? Yeah, great. Um, do you want to meet up for a drink sometime or a coffee? And I was like, dude. That is crazy. Why would you do that? He's like, well, that's what the app is there for. It's so that you can meet people. I go out and I meet people. Uh, if they don't like me, if we don't get along, that's fine. But I haven't lost anything. We meet up and we have a drink. And quite often, you know, I'll meet people that I really like. And we'll, we'll remain friends. And if things don't work out or whatever. But it's using the app to connect with people so that I can speak with them in the real world. And I thought that was frightening. But I started doing it. And... I started meeting people. Um, I started going on dates with people. And it was not, to say, you know, so it's like building blocks. Um, it was hard. And then I, I pushed through that because to ask somebody on a date is terrifying for me. Yeah. But then I just started doing it. I was like, oh, okay. So then I moved on to the next terrifying step, which was actually meeting these people in person. And that was horrible because I'm shit like that. Yeah. But then that step became easier meeting people when I wasn't thinking so much about me and meeting the life of my dreams or whatever. And then I actually ended up, when the time was right, because I wasn't being, as my mate said, a little bitch about it, and I was just embracing meeting people, I met somebody who I've been with for uh, nearly three years now. Moral of this story is I have no idea why we're talking about it. Um, <laughs> I know, but... No. Uh-oh. No. Yeah. I mean, we probably don't have much more time, dude, but I'm really interested in how you're going with Bumble and... Oh, I'll, I'll, that, that one would be for when the microphone is off. Um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> to, to, get, to get back, we, we have a little bit more time left, which is good. I, I have to ask this one, because this is coming from a fan, a really lover of this play. Where did you play Hobo come from? Ooh, Hobo. Now, strokes the beard... <laughs> If you'll notice, I've got a beard now. This um, first proper one I've grown. Yeah. Back to it. Uh, I actually, I've been soaked in art, so I, I take any excuse to um, digress and talk about things that are seemingly not related. So apologies. Now, I really appreciate 
whoever the fan is who asked this question. Um, That's me. <laughs> okay, now I'm going red. Um, where Hobo came from, Yuri Akin Writers Group. I was, uh, I finished that theatre. I got shortlisted for the Whopper um, Bachelor acting course. Mm. Uh, made it very close to getting in. Didn't. I got into this place called the International Screen Academy over in Sydney. I, I flew over there and started doing that course. Missed Perth, missed my girlfriend. I, I really didn't want to study for another two and a half years. And so I thought, I'm going to go back to Perth and I'm going to make a go of it there. Yeah. I'm going to take advantage of every single opportunity I can that is creative and artistic. Anything to do with music, writing, acting, directing, bloody whatever. An opportunity that came up was this thing called the Uriakon Writers Group. Um, and what they do is they, it's an open invitation to any person affiliated with the company, um, any young indigenous creatives that want to have a crack at writing. This particular year was, was actually really fantastically structured and they had a, I think it was a 12-week process that you go through with writing mentors, um, Heli Turner, Jeff Kelso and Polly, Polly Lowe. Now, the way that the course is run is that for eight weeks, every week you would come in uh, for two hours on a Wednesday, uh, two or three hours, and you would go through writing exercises and go through the process of what it is to write a play, but always with the objective of that at the, the end of this 12-week period, you're going to write a play, a 10-minute play, that adheres to the three-act structure, the, you know, and it's going to be read out at the Blue Room Theatre as, as an event during NAIDOC week called Yuriyans and you know people from the industry will come mm. in and listen and you know it might not be that big but you'll get an opportunity to read out your 10 minute piece so great 12 weeks eight of that is learning about the craft and four weeks of that is you get an hour or two I think once a week with the dramaturg um, to actually go over your work to craft this this piece and I worked with Heli so I had this objective of course me being the very enthusiastic person that I was I rocked up in the city three hours before the first class because I wasn't working at the time <laughs> I could say that's the most days um, and I started trying to write this play but I had an idea I had in my head called a play called Northbridge um, and I sat there and I was just like okay I've got this whole idea and I know who I want to write about but it's just not working so I sat on the bench and I was like you know what I'm just gonna try and imagine the room that this starts in it's in darkness it's in the morning. We're in the kitchen. There's nobody around. This is boring. Oh, there's a radio on. Okay. Radio, great. Uh, it was always just intended just to be a means to start me off. Okay. What's the radio presenter saying? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, well, he's saying, oh, it's, it's the voice of this bloke. Hey, fast, ready, ready. Are you ready to get your fat asses out of Betty? And I was like, why did he just say that? You can't say that. And then all of a sudden, the voice of this producer comes out. Freddie comes back on the radio. Ah, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Um, sorry for... Uh, I've just been informed by my young female producer that I can't say the likes of ass and fuck and things like that. And then I was like, whoa, can't do that. So I can hear him now getting told off on the radio. Like, Fred, you cannot. You've been told about this kind of behaviour. And Fred's getting worked up and more worked up. And I'm writing about this and this conversation. And he doesn't realise it. Or maybe he's trying to be a smartest. But the... She says, is the microphone turned off? And he's like, yes, yes, yes. But we'll be back, folks. But blah, 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 blah. And putting on a tune. And they're having this conversation. And it, it just keeps escalating and escalating and escalating. Because he's being arrogant. He's being a misogynist. He's basically belittling her. And um, she pushes him, pushes him. And says, look, you know, I've been brought in to 
your ratings have gone down, friend. You've been on the air for 20 years now. You're stale. You're not in touch with the new wave, the new, the, you know, the younger people and even the older people are getting sick of your crap, blah, 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 blah. Of course, he goes on a rant and says all these horrible things to her. And that just kept going yeah. and going and going. And I was like, shit, okay, well, what, what happens to Fred? Where... What? And I'm not think. I'm just enjoying it. I'm just yeah. enjoying writing yeah. this thing. <laughs> yeah. And and Fred ends up. I was like, well, what happens to a to somebody who's so set in their ways and does all these horrible things? And I was like, well, Fred is actually he's a really proud person, and all he has is this job. And when he loses it, all of a sudden he's he's drinking and he's he's on the street. And that whole thing was just me exploring what it meant from this creative perspective to think about what happens to this older guy and and it, it kept evolving and evolving and I what I you know these these other characters come in and I thought I was just writing this piece about just superfluous things or exploration and I'm jumping forward a little bit here but the so I directed the piece uh, at Summer Nights um, and then I I got my good mate Ian Wilkes to to step in um, and direct during NADOC week mm. because um you know, I want a different perspective and our actor from the first production was at uni again, um, so I stepped into that acting role. And um, w- one of the monologues um, for the character Terry, who was Fred's estranged homosexual son, sounds a bit cliche, but bear with me, because you know what yeah. <laughs> I was about, um, delivers this monologue um, to his father. And my dad was actually sitting in the audience um, and I couldn't stop crying when I was delivering this monologue. And... At the end of the play, I was seeing my parents, and my dad was just saying to me, he's like, oh, quite a lot of stuff sounds fam- pretty familiar in that, uh, that you're writing about in that play, and he just sort of thought about things for a little bit, and I realised that Hobo had come from from me and my experiences without me even, even meaning to, and um, I was talking about the feelings that I had about my situation and about my parents and about the world around me and about how we, you know, because we have an Aboriginal character in there who's, mm. who's, having, who's struggling with identity or running away from an identity and yeah. he doesn't know it. Um, we have an older character that is adhering to what he was taught and what he believes in to the exclusion of his family and everything else. And now this is not saying that, that my dad was like that. This is, it, it's heightening. I guess I was exploring a heightened and more dramatic version of the events that I've been thinking about in my own life. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not homosexual. I might be, but I'd be too probably scared to admit it if I was because I was born in 1990. So if I am, then I've been robbed of that pleasure. So sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so for all intensive purposes, um, you know, I'm a heterosexual male. I wrote about a homosexual um, character in this play. Um, and that was because I feel I feel a lot of... I can parallel a lot of the things that I've gone through in my life, identity-wise, um, with what I believe, you know, um, blokes who are in the closet might have gone through, um, trying to pretend that they're somebody else that they're not, and mm. having to craft this whole persona to to be accepted. And I think that Hobo sprung from this massive well of kind of deep-seated personal questions that I really was... I didn't know how to talk about so life has a funny way of making you 
you can't you can't run from those questions yeah. that you have and hobo was was my subconscious forcing me to um to explore oh. that and have that conversation so that that's where hobo came from it's yeah. a it's a molding of experience in theater yeah. and creativity with my own personal thoughts views yeah it was a really i have to say as i said at the very start of our conversation it is really a good fucking play and i hopefully it gets performed i've seen it twice <clears throat> Both your your fringe season and independent season at the Blue Room, and there's just this. I don't want to give anything away because it is a treat. And yes, I know it, it's very interesting. Like I read a couple of reviews how that it compared a lot to Waiting for Godot, and I'm like, yeah, 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 kind of. Like when I first saw, it, I thought, yeah, this is the um, Perth's answer to Waiting for Godot. In a sense, but sorry, I digress. No, no, I'm, I'm humble. I'm reveling in the, I'm basking in the glorious praise. Thing. <laughs> but there's this beautiful. When you get to the end, it's just such a beautiful, like a kind, gentle slap in the face at the end. Just before the end, you had this wonderful scene of you know the lighters and in the darkness, and you really how it's really. I, I don't want to describe it too much because it's just it's it's really funny. Because you do have that sense of sort of dark play that our dark subconscious, like um, the words of you know words of pufta is used and you know derogatory language and but this weird sort of sense and you're in the dark watching the scene and it's basically um, Tank hmm. and Freddie yep. and Terry the son yep. they're all in this weird scene it's all dark and each has got a lighter to illuminate the face. And anyway, really interesting scene because there's a lot of play. It's dark, and it really brings out the child. I know this weird sort of, you know, teenager. <laughs> oh, he said a naughty word. Oh my goodness! And we're in the dark of the theater, and all this fire, real fire. You know, it's it was a wonderful um. Yeah, how did you develop that lighter and dark? I honestly, it's the same kind of idea um, that started the play. Really, I just visualizing something in my head that I thought was interesting and once I got that image in my head it's like it started in the darkness with the radio and the radio comes on and all of a sudden there's it's it was I just thought about it and I thought it would be really really interesting I mean because you're in a theater and I don't know if it's any more in depth than it was a chance to play and it was stripping things back and it was a theatrical choice the you know you've got sound and lighting but there's also there's something about the clicking of mm. lighter and the, the hearing of that spark and the the sudden pocket of light that you capture that you create and it just i don't know how i really came up with it it just appeared and it wouldn't go away and oh. <laughs> give me a break here ryan it's just um yeah ah oh, i just really love i hope it, i hope it gets filmed I actually thought about that. Hobo is definitely not not finished as as far as um, its life beyond Fringe and and Nadoc went. It's actually uh, quite interesting because I at one point approached you about playing. Yes, Terry. Terry, <laughs> and you were very keen. You were you were still at Whopper. Yeah. It all got too complicated, and I must apologise because no. um, I didn't actually end up getting back to you I don't think in time about because um, you were keen but there was all this other stuff that I... uh, yeah um, <coughs> it, it was really weird because when you're studying I'm not sure if we can oh, well we're, we're not um, offending anyone when you say this but yeah like you're saying I was like at WAPA and studying and there was a, a like I had to notify a few teachers ahead 
the the performing arts and I had to for me because you know it was a you know professional play that was being done and it was work and you know the um there is a relationship with the actors union about you know giving work to you know a student so yeah there the, there was a quite a bit of a process for me to think and I but yeah but at the end of the day it really made sense for you to play Terry I, I don't know like in a way for me it's like because I was thinking when did you message me or we somehow we fall into contact and then I was thinking after our Facebook thingy I was like well why is James holding auditions? Why doesn't he play it himself? Because you're not, you didn't direct it. I was going to direct it. Ah. Um, and I couldn't, because you know, putting on these, putting on something in Fringe, putting on something uh, at the Blue Room, um, it's the incredible opportunities. But you are not getting paid for the work that you put in prior. You're doing it with with a view to to put something on great and it's still professional but there's a lot of time spent working on something that you you'll get a you'll get paid through ticket sales at the end of the season but everything is that much more difficult um, when you have obligations in life and commitments that are getting pushed aside because this is all consuming so things that get complicated like trying to hold auditions and finding the right actor for the job when like I'd been through that process during summer nights and it was really difficult mm. um I ended up playing uh, Terry at a pure, almost, I just couldn't handle trying to find the right person and it taking so long. And I, of course, wanted the, the character to be portrayed with passion and somebody who, you know, in these, in these gigs, it's really important to get people on board that absolutely 100% want to play that character. They love the story. They want to make your life easier and really, because, you know, it's, it's a labor of love, especially Fringe and... Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, those Blue Room seasons. And if you have somebody who comes on with a, an attitude of the work before the, the passion is not what you were like, by the way, but um, it was just that extra complication. I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask my mate Ian to come and direct it because he, he really loved the story. Um, I've worked with him before and he's a fantastic director. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to act in it. The reason I brought this whole thing up is because I actually was thinking the other day, if it, if it does go on again, um, I think you'd make a pretty interesting Terry. And I still believe that. So, um, Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm free. <laughs> yeah, we just got to find um, find the time and the place. I mean, I'm I'm studying again at the moment. Yeah. So I'm putting another bow in the quiver, as you might say. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. Oh, I've got two questions because yeah, we're almost out of time. But before we go, what's your relationship with music? With music? Yeah, because I mean, you're now studying. Because we were saying yeah, you, you are now studying back again at Wafo, studying music. Yes. Um, so I'm doing the Diploma of Music Industry Artist course, which is a one-year diploma that will lead into a, an advanced diploma, should I um, pass and choose to go down that path. Um, but I've actually, uh, prior to going to Whopper, I started playing an instrument, the guitar, when I was uh, 22, 23, learning to play that instrument because I have cousins who are musicians. And progressively throughout the journey of being involved with theatre, I've been getting better at playing the instrument. And the last show that I did at WAPA Aboriginal Theatre 2014, the end of your show, was it 2014 or 2015? No, because... 2014. Yeah. So I did Conversations with the Dead at WAPA. Yeah. And I played on stage and sung with the guitar for the first time ever. And I was forced to learn those songs because I had to for the show. And since then, just about every single gig that I've been involved with, I've had to bring that instrument along. So I did a, an ad for bloody RAC, played a musician in that. That's played, right. Played a bloody ukulele in that. 
Um, I when I did uh, I did Songbird at the Blue Room. I played guitar yep. and sung in that. I when I did my first buddy like one of my first short films or something where I saw the performance, I was horrible. By the way, you couldn't even hear me. Prior to Whopper, I I played a musician. I played the instrument and I I write songs and music and that. And I with Hobo, um, there was live music in that, and I wrote songs for that and played the electric guitar to to score that underscore it and it's just been a natural kind of progression i recently uh so, so last year i toured this kids play called all aboard the spinifex express um i toured that twice through the pilbara and i was hired to compose the original music for that i was in an opera yes again and music has just has just followed it's followed um you know what i'm gonna give you a treat i'm, I'm gonna give the podcast listeners yeah. a treat and i'm gonna play you a kid's song that i wrote for oh, please this do. all aboard the Spinifex Express because it's hilarious and dumb um, and it might answer a question. Please do. So right now James is bringing out his awesome guitar. <laughs> this is a first because I always thought it about you know adding music to the podcast. Okay, I just restrung this yesterday. Okay. So we've we've got limited time. So if it's out of tune, just everybody oh. be aware that that's the case. And I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 sit, sit, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll see if I Alright. Alright. There's a child crying. Or maybe with your perfect muse. it's a perfect time. <laughs> I have not played this song for for quite a while. Alright. Get level Yeah. Cocky. Yeah. 
That's why she squawks in the tree. In that tree. She's gonna squawk, 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 squawk in the tree. She's gonna squawk in the tree. There we go. She's gonna squawk, 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 squawk in the tree. She's gonna squawk in the tree. I had to slow it down because it's hot in the bush. <laughs> you know it's hot, hot, hot. You know it's hot for me, and it's hot for you, and it's hot for this last one, the emus too. They're gonna run, 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 run real fast. They're gonna run real fast. They're gonna run, 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 run real fast. They're gonna run real fast because it's hot in the bush. You know it's hot, hot, hot. You know it's hot for me, and it's hot for you, and it's hot for James Perthian's podcast listeners. My girlfriend who's sitting in the car because we're recording. <laughs> my cat Toby. My next door neighbour Shelley. All the people I know and love. James Taylor. Ryan Morano. child is still crying. Yeah. That's <laughs> a bad that sign. After that news, well, we're almost well, 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 done, but I have to quickly ask this. Oh, James, thank you so much. That was awesome. So, it, this is a sort of a signing off question here at the Perthian Chronicles. Okay. So, in the year 2027, when we meet again, James, what would you like to plug? And the idea of promotions, media, I use the word plug because it's the sort of media thing. In 10 years' time, basically. <clears throat> like a, a, a play, another play, an autobiography. What would I like to plug? Your album of Hot, Hot, Hot? Certainly not, not, not. <laughs> I am slightly confused and I don't know why because it's a seemingly simple question. What would I like to plug? What would I like to be doing? Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, what do, if in 10 years' time, what, do you see yourself promoting? You don't have to promote anything. I'm just curious. I see myself promoting. Honestly, man, I have no idea. I know where I'd like to be. I know what I, I would like to be promoting. I w I'd actually like to be promoting Perth. And I'd like to be plugging genuinely and with fervor. Fervor? Yeah. The Perth art scene. Um, and the Perth voice and the Perth storytelling. I would love to be plug-in Perth as a place where you don't have to come here, but <laughs> you're missing out. I think that would be special. I'd like to plug my own hometown and to be proud of what we're doing here. That's perfect. James, thank you. No worries.